morning. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13 in the Common English Bible. When Jesus was at Bethany visiting the house of Simon, who had a skin disease, a woman came to him with a vase made of alabaster containing very expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' head while he was sitting at dinner. Now when the disciples saw it, they were angry and said, Why this waste? This perfume could have been sold for a lot of money and given to the poor. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. He said, Why do you make trouble for the woman? She's done a good thing for me. You always have the poor, but you won't always have me. By pouring this perfume over my body, she's prepared me to be buried. I tell you the truth that wherever in the whole world the good news is announced, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Claire. I said thank you. I'm sorry. (laughs) You want to read that again? No. (laughs) As I said earlier, this is the last week of our sermon series, Misused or Abused, where we have thought about how sometimes we take these little phrases from Scripture, we put them on T-shirts and coffee mugs and plaques in our house, but we also take them out of the context and the fullness of where they're embedded in Scripture, and sometimes we might misapply them to the circumstances of our lives. We think about Jeremiah's words, the plan, I know the plans that I have for you. We think about what it means for all things to work for good for those who love the Lord. Or Jesus' words is recorded in Luke. What does it mean for us to ask and receive, seek and find, knock and the door be open to us? To, to be reminded that's in the middle in the context of the Lord's prayer and how we pray. To understand Paul's words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this week, to consider what Jesus meant when he said, the poor you will have with you always, Right? You know, in seminary, I was taught to read the Bible. They don't teach you a lot of things in seminary. They don't teach you how to do leadership and administration in a church, but they teach you some understandings about how to read the Bible. And in particular, there's a a kind of a biblical interpretation that we are reminded of and given the opportunity to think about when we read Scripture as well. That many of the biblical writers, when they write about and they portray God as a character in this story, they portray God as one who has a particular interest in human affairs. God who is concerned about what is going on with humanity, but that God has an inclination, a special inclination, towards the poor and the oppressed. So you think about how God works with the poor and the oppressed, how God works in their circumstances, as you would say. This is a way in which you can read Scripture. And I think as people who believe in Scripture, amen, right? and we believe in the instructions of Scripture, you can say amen again if you would like, right? that we're supposed to follow these teachings. And as such, then I wonder, what is our responsibility to the poor? How are we supposed to engage the poor? After basic training in in 1982, uh, I I went from San Antonio, Texas, kind of a a dry, arid climate. Any of you ever been to San Antonio, lived in San Antonio for a period of time? Yeah, you know, it's it's not exactly the most humid spot on the planet. It's fairly, fairly moderate. It's pretty hot in July and August. But I went from there 
to Biloxi, Mississippi. Anybody know where Biloxi, Mississippi is? Anybody been to Biloxi before? Josh and I had a conversation about this in chapel service this morning. Biloxi, Mississippi is a little bit different climate than San Antonio. It gets to about 95, a little bit you know, more than that. But the humidity, you add another 100% onto the 95, and you're about at the humidity level that it is there. I mean, you just walk out of anywhere, and you automatically start to sweat. You feel like you've got to change your clothes after about four or five seconds. You know, kind of thing. It's like that. So I went from there to, to, from San Antonio to Keesler Air Force Base. That was my training center. I went there for training. I was a young airman making $14,000 a year in 1982, 1983. I got paid on the 1st and the 15th of the month. Now, there are some months where that 15th to the end of the month is like 13 days, February, right? There are some months where it's another 15 days, and there are some months where it's 16 days. And that can be a long stretch for an airman making $14,000 a year. As a matter of fact, there were some months where my bank account was so close to zero, and it was still the 22nd of the month, right? Any of you ever been there? So in Balancing, Mississippi, Domino's Pizza had this special little deal for military personnel. They would sell you a pizza and let you post-date the check five days. So they would actually sell you a pizza five days before you got paid, and then they'd hold your, your check and sell you your payday. And they would do this. And, and I'll believe me, friends, I ate a lot of Domino's pizza at the end of the month. There were a lot of months that were like that, and I would call them up, and I would give them my post-dated check. You think about the nostalgia of the good old days when we were young and Broke, right? Poor, right? You remember those days. We romanticized the good old days when we had nothing. We were so poor we didn't know any better, right? Some of us might still be there, not young, but poor, broke, right? Some of us might still be young and poor. There's a few young folks here that might be in that category, especially if you've done a doctorate anytime soon. You might especially, and had a child. You're definitely poor, brother. I know that, right? You know, we, were, we are nostalgic about our stories. We remember those times. Remember the who, the what, the when, the where, the how that you found yourself in those circumstances? The details of your romanticized past, right? I think it's pretty easy for us to be nostalgic about those moments. Because even then, we had a certain hope. We had a certain vision. For many of us, we were launching into careers and we had good prospects and we were fairly certain that it wasn't always going to be that way for us. That eventually we would get to a point where maybe we would live more the middle class kind of lifestyle. That we would get to the point where we would no longer be poor. Right? But what about those who don't have those kinds of opportunities? What about those who can't rise above their impoverished circumstances? When Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always, was he being callous in that moment? Was Jesus giving his disciples permission to just simply ignore the poor? I I would answer those two questions with a single word. I would say no. And that's because you can't literally just look at that text by itself and think that that is the sum of all of Jesus' teaching and his experience and what he has emulated 
for His disciples. You have to look at it in a more broader context of the Gospel and His three years of ministry and what transpired. If you simply survey the Gospel of Matthew alone by itself, you will see the teachings of Jesus. There are four specific passages where Jesus takes a moment to teach His disciples and those that are around Him regarding what it means to serve the poor. It was an explicit command of His. Serve the poor. But you also think about the passages that says Jesus had compassion on the crowds because they brought the hurting to him. They brought the poor and the oppressed. They brought those who were in need and the outcast to Jesus. He had compassion for them and he met their needs in those moments. Jesus didn't teach his disciples. He didn't emulate for his disciples a callous disregard for the poor. Jesus was invested in the poor and their needs, he cared for them. So what in the world's going on in this passage then? What is transpiring in this moment? Jesus had visited a home, Simon, the leper. He was there to care for Simon, evidently. And in the midst of that moment, an unknown woman, out of the blue, not named, nobody knows who she is, according to Scripture, comes to Jesus and gives an act of sacrificial love to him. She brings an alabaster jar. How many of you have ever seen alabaster before, right? It's a beautiful, ornate, kind of almost transparent piece of material. And they hewn out of that material a nice little jar. They would pour expensive perfumes and oils into alabaster, and then they would seal it tight so that it wouldn't evaporate. And here's something that they say about it in that time and age. They were something that was so precious, it was almost like a social security program. It would have been an heirloom that would have been handed down from generation to generation. It would have been that which they gave to the next family member. It would have been something that was so expensive that if they got destitute, they could have sold it and been able to provide for the family. She brings it. And in order to enable to access the perfume, she has to break the neck of the bottle. And she not only has to dispense the perfume, she has to dispense all of it because it wouldn't last. It wouldn't be any good. So she takes her family's treasure and pours it over the head of Jesus and anoints him for his burial. Now you think about the disciples. The disciples have heard had Jesus say, you know, I'm going to be crucified here pretty shortly. And they're all like, no, come on. There's got to be a different program in mind here. You're not going to die anytime soon. So they're not thinking about Jesus' burial coming up anytime soon. They think that this is just a waste, right? This is expensive perfume. We could have sold it. We could have given the money to the poor. We could have done something with it. Jesus says, you don't understand. My ministry is coming to an end. My personage with you is coming to an end. But I want you guys to carry on. And so he says these words to them, The poor you will have with you always. How many of you, when you hear the first words of a song, you automatically start singing the rest of the song? Amazing Grace, how? That? You know those words. Right? They come back to you just like that. You can finish it. The text, the poor you will have with you always, 
comes from their own teaching and heritage out of Deuteronomy chapter 15. It was as if Jesus just said the first few words of a song and they just automatically remembered what Jesus was saying in the context of their own teachings. Because here's what Deuteronomy says. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord is giving to you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-hearted and freely lend to them whatever they need. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and in everything that you put your hand to. For there will always be poor with you in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and in need. You see, Jesus graciously receives a gift from an unknown woman. It is her act of sacrificial love and devotion for him in that moment. But in receiving that gift, he also emulates for them how they are to give the gift of sacrificial love. The disciples are supposed to give that act of sacrificial love to those that are the poor among them. To live it out. And I think that is same instruction applies to every single one of us who call ourselves committed followers of Jesus Christ. If we're devoted to Christ and we want to follow Christ, then we ourselves should be people who are giving to the poor. And believe me, friends, the poor exist. They even exist around us, whether we believe it or not. I looked this up this week. I was, I was kind of curious about what are some of the basic statistics regarding the poor, people who are impoverished today. What is their circumstances? Where are they among us? I didn't know this, but in 2014, as of the end of 2014 in the census, the poverty line is classified as two adults and two children living off $24,000 or less in income. Could any of us imagine living off of $2,000 a month? Anybody here? I couldn't. I couldn't imagine off, trying to live off of, of that little of income, $24,000. Well, 47 million people in our country as of the end of 2014 live off of $24,000 a year or less. That is 15% of our population in our country. 15.5 million of them are kids under the age of 18. That's 20% of the kids in our culture. 1.6 million of those kids are also homeless. They're not only in poverty, they're also homeless as well. 14% of seniors over the age of 65 live in poverty in our country. 14%. By ethnicity, it's 26% African Americans live in poverty, 24% Hispanic, 12% Asian American, 10% of us who are Caucasians live in poverty in our country. In Missouri, it's a little bit different. 15.5% of us live in poverty in Missouri. About 21% of our children live in poverty, 9% of our senior citizens. In Kansas, it's a little bit better. 13.3% overall poverty in Kansas. About 17.7% of them are children, about 8% seniors. Anybody curious as to what the best states are to live in? Missouri's ranked 30th, by the way, when it comes to poverty. 
New Hampshire, Maryland, and Connecticut are the best places to live if you don't want to be in poverty, right? Those are the places to go. But for the rest of us, the poor are around us. We love Jesus. Amen? Right? We're devoted to follow Jesus the Christ, right? Every single one of us. We're called to follow His instructions, especially to serve the poor who are around us. Many of you probably have heard this name, Lovett Weems. Lovett Weems used to be the president of St. Paul's School of Theology. He spent 18 years there as the president. And then he transitioned from St. Paul and went to Wesley Theological out in Washington, D.C. He heads what's called the Lewis Center for Church Leadership. I've had uh, Dr. Weems for four of my demon classes. And in one of the classes he said that one of the phrases as pastors that you should get accustomed to using and should use a lot is these words... I am so proud to serve a church that. And finish it. Finish it with something. I would say to you, dear friends, that I am so proud to serve a church that is concerned about the poor and the needy around us and proves it by your love and your action. I think about all the things that we have done just this month alone when it comes to the food insecure that are in our community and in our world. To participate in a defeat hunger race and walk. We gave $3,000 as a community of faith to support the harvesters meals that were packed that day. To think about involving our local neighbors in a canned food drive. That was 650 meals that we and our neighbors gave to harvesters to meet the needs of those who are hungry. I think about the food boxes that we're going to pack today. I committed us to 30. We're going to get to 30, amen? Right? Somehow, some way. You may have to dig out $28 out of your pocket here shortly when the offering comes to pay for one, but however we get there, we're going to get to 30 boxes. But also the ongoing of baby grace and how we meet the needs, snack pack, you know, back snacks for the 60 kids that we support every single week, neighbor to neighbor and our Monday lunches that we provide to people who are homeless and in transition, all the ways in which we are caring for those who are food insecure, but also, as I said a second ago, baby grace. The ways in which we're meeting the needs of people who are under-resourced, not only in the diapers, but the goods that they need the collections that we take for them. But not only the things that we are doing, I'm also proud of the things that we are planning on doing. The vision that we have to help Indians on the reservation and the Ponca Indian tribes in Oklahoma and the opportunity to go on a volunteers and mission trip to Nicaragua. That We are a people who are going to help the poor. I think these are the points. These are the places where we are choosing to pour the sweet-smelling perfume of God's love upon the heads of the poor and the oppressed. And to be reminded that it's not just about our checkbooks. It is more about our participation in this. The opportunity for every single one of us to look into the eyes of someone who is impoverished and to see within them the image of God and to meet God in poverty. What a great opportunity for us. And I am so proud of a church that would do that. So beyond our own nostalgia of being poor, I would ask you one simple question. When was the last time you stared poverty in the face? As we go away from this moment, a couple of things that I hope that you take away with you, just kind of your conversation points for today and your own 
kinds of moments as you think about and consider this. I think all of us, hopefully all of us, kind of have our nostalgic memories that we are in love with. We remind, you know, we're reminded of what it means to be young and poor and not know any better about life. But also be reminded that Jesus was not being nostalgic nor dismissive of the poor in this moment. Rather, Jesus was instructing on his mission and the vision that he was handing to the disciples to remind them to continue to care for the poor. And those of us who love Jesus and are devoted to follow him, that is our mission as well, friends, to care for those who are in need. So think about the invitation that is for you today, this personal kind of invitation for you. Maybe part of it is is that you can't see this work unfolding in you because your relationship with Christ still needs to blossom and develop a little bit more. For that to become a part of who you are as you grow in your devotion of Christ. I would encourage you this week to go on that journey of greater devotion to Jesus the Christ. And for those of us that are in love with Christ, to also see that invitation in which we can engage the poor. The ways in which we as a community of faith are doing this, but also us personally. How is it can we be a people who share in Christ's acts of mercy and grace? Because friends... I'll say it again. I am proud of all that you are doing. I am proud of all that we will continue to do. And I invite you to continue to go on that journey of falling in love with Christ and to go on that journey of serving the poor in Christ's name. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? And so, gracious God, we know that the poor may always be with us, but we know that it does not give us an excuse to ignore them. Instead, we pray that your Spirit fill us with the desire to love your Son even more. And through our deep love for Jesus, use us to ease the suffering of the poor. 